0: Welcome in everybody to the Flagship Podcast. I am Chip Brown, joined as always by our fearless leader, the managing editor of Horns 24-7. I'm also of Horns 24-7, uh, but our managing editor at Horns 24-7 is Taylor Estes. Taylor, how you doing?
1: I'm doing well, Chip. How about you?
0: Hey, it, it's uh, kind of a short week after Memorial Day weekend. Hope everyone had a blessed Memorial Day weekend, as we remember the the fallen um, from our military and and all those who've served and protected us, and I hope everyone had a safe Memorial Day weekend. But we're back, Taylor. It's now the month of June, and the football team is getting ready to start summer conditioning. The new freshmen and newcomers are on campus; they're ready to get rolling. And we have a new national champion at Texas, the rowing team. We'll mention them um, in, just, uh, in just a minute. So we got to give kudos to those national champions because those are tough trophies to get. But we also have a new old football player. What are you talking about, Chip? Well, Delhi Adeaway has uh, withdrawn from the transfer portal. He's an inside linebacker. That is a position of need for Texas. He's rejoined the Texas football team, Taylor. And Delia day away has not had a huge impact in his two m- meaningful seasons of football. But there's still time. And sometimes that light comes on uh, for different people at different times. There's a new coaching staff. Maybe... Jeff Choate and Pete Kwiatkowski can bring something out of Delhi a day away that we haven't seen yet. What do you think?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, Chip, when you go back to the 2019 season, which really was like, I think one of the only seasons where he didn't really have an, an injury that sidelined him, you know, he did start 10 games and he played in all 13 games of that 2019 season. You know, the the unfortunate thing with Delia a day away is ever since he stepped foot on campus, he started getting injured. I remember his first fall camp or his first spring practice, excuse me, at Texas, you know, uh, Todd Orlando, the former defensive coordinator was really relying or expecting to have to rely on him during that 2018 season. Then he gets injured in spring ball, kind of up and down, then gets re-injured in fall camp, gets a redshirt year for that year. So it's just always been kind of like, unfortunately for him, the, the perfect storm to not see the field because of his injury past. But, you know, I think if he can get past it, then this could, be, this could be substantial for Texas at a position of need. I mean, he has been in the program for three years. He's a redshirt sophomore um, and heading into this season. He, uh, you know, I think it'll be interesting kind of to see how he rejoins the team. That's kind of, I think, the biggest question mark right now, because he did sit out of spring practice. He uh, entered the transfer portal on January 8th and then withdrew his name on Tuesday, January 1st. So it'll be interesting kind of how he gets into the swing of things on the Texas defense with a whole new defensive coaching staff, you know, leading the charge and him having to learn a whole new playbook, assuming he does, you know, rejoin the team um, in the same capacity. So should be interesting. But I, I mean, at this point, Chip, I think it's hard to look at the inside linebacker position and be like, oh, they shouldn't take that guy back. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not – there, Texas has been a position of need for Texas. You know, he he was a highly touted recruit coming out of high school from St. Louis, Missouri, went to IMG Academy out in Florida. But, you know, I mean, this was a, a top 150 player, you know, in the 24-7 sports composite rankings, one of the top players, um, one of the top inside linebackers in that 2018 signing class. So, this is no scrub that Texas is getting back. And, uh, you know, from what I've been told, he's been working independently a lot this off season or since basically he entered the transfer portal. It'll be interesting to see kind of how he does return and what type of shape he's in. But I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm off base chip, but I feel like at this point, it's not going to hurt Texas to have him come back considering, you know, he, he already has a camaraderie with the team. It's not, you know, relying on some guy that doesn't, doesn't know what often Texas is like. You know, may not like it here. I mean, there's a lot of things I can go into it when you, you have to deal with, you know, transfers and stuff like that. So I can't imagine it being bad. But what's your take on it?
0: Yeah, I mean, physically, the guy is what you're looking for. You know, he's he's that six-two, two forty, can run. For him, it's always been processing and playing fast and being able to get to the point where it's just reactionary. It's always been, and it doesn't help that he's had different coaches, different coordinators, that stuff matters. And, and so now he comes in having missed spring ball, as you said, that is a, that puts him back and he's got to learn this new defense under Pete Kwiatkowski. And he's got to, get in connection with Pete Kwiatkowski and Jeff Choate the inside linebackers coach and but he's got experience as you said I mean started an entire season he should be able to process what they're telling him about this new defense pretty quickly should and so obviously Texas has brought in transfers you got Devin Richardson coming in from New Mexico State I don't know if they would look at Ben Davis from Alabama as a possible middle linebacker. He's built more as an edge guy, but he's also a a fifth-year grad transfer who probably can play anywhere you need him, but they definitely need someone to step up at that middle linebacker position. It used to be his job, the transfer portal. He didn't find a connection there, and my gosh, that's like Hartsfield Airport in In Atlanta, it's hard to stand out in that um, setting. There's hundreds of guys in the transfer portal right now. So if this thing can work, it would be a pleasant surprise, certainly for for Texas. I don't know where the expectations should be at this point, but you hope for the best for Delia a day away because at the end of the day, he's a college student, you want him to maximize his college experience. And then if he can turn into a meaningful contributor at a position of need for Texas, that would be um, a a huge bonus at this point. So it's uh, obviously when we left spring ball, you had Jalen Ford playing middle linebacker for the first team defense, but David Benda is a guy who Steve Sarkeesian mentioned because David Benda has been playing that weak side linebacker position where Demarvian Overshawn plays. And unless they're going to move Demarvian Overshawn to the middle, because they like David Benda so much, they haven't seen Demarvian Overshawn yet just on film because he was out with the injury in the spring. Then you've got to have someone who can step up and, and make an impact at middle linebacker. Now, maybe David Benda moves to middle linebacker, and as we said, Sarkeesian mentioned that he, he, that's not ideal for him. He's he's more of a run guy. He's more of a sideline to sideline guy. He doesn't have the the long arms or the strength that you would look for in a middle linebacker to shed blocks and make plays. And we'll just have to see. But look at this point, as you said, there's a need at middle linebacker. You're getting a guy back. Who's got college experience, who knows his teammates and hopefully the light bulb goes on. I always refer back to, you know, guys who it didn't, you know, Brandon Jones, for example, his first couple of years, really, it, it wasn't, he wasn't playing fast mm-hmm. his junior year. He was unbelievable. And, and it totally turned on for him. He was a he was a fantastic player. And so it the light goes on at different times for different guys, and they just need that light to go on for Delia Dayaway. So uh, that is a significant development. Taylor, when we spoke last week, we were headed off to Houston to hear from Steve Sarkeesian at the uh, Houston Touchdown Club. He was speaking to that group. It was really his first off campus in person speech to a group since the pandemic and i thought it was interesting that he revealed how bumpy the road has been those are his words because he revealed that right after he hired his staff he he said some of the guys came down with covid and they all had to quarantine like immediately like right after arriving in the job they had to go bunker down at the AT&T conference center. And then they get going and, and then they had the, the winter storm and they had to shut everything down for eight to 10 days. Then they go on spring break and three guys come back from spring break. Three players come back, test positive for COVID and they have to suspend spring ball for a week and so he said, look, we've, we've been through some, some bumpy times together already, but he likes the resiliency of this team. Now, until they play a game, it's all just interesting coach speak. We'll right. find out what this team is really about from a resiliency standpoint once they hit adversity in a game. But some interesting chatter from Steve Sarkeesian last week. You and I were both there. So was Jeff Howe and Mike Roach and interesting chatter from Steve Sarkeesian.
1: Yeah, it is. And it's it's so weird. This just this whole, you know, last however many months it's been, you know, just with everything being shut down and, you know, us not being able to do in-person interviews. That was the first opportunity that we got to even see Steve Sarkeesian face to face. Since he was hired in January, I mean it, it's June now. I mean it's crazy to think that this is how weird and unique this last you know year and a half has been in the college sports world, in sports world in general, general, not just college. But to have a it was it was kind of weird. We were kind of like, "We have four staff members going. Is that overkill?" But it's like, no, it's not overkill because we've got to you know get some FaceTime with him. So it was good to have that FaceTime to be able to see him. You know within social distancing range instead of on on a computer screen like we have but he said a lot of interesting things um i think you know obviously i think a lot of people probably heard the viral comment that he made where uh at the houston touchdown club they opened the the floor up to some fans to ask questions and some some uh old man texas fan steps up and he's like hey coach." Did, uh, did any of your players go to the class at Alabama? And it was like, I mean, the whole room, you know, set off like in the roar of laughter. And then Steve Sarkeesian's answer, you know, being like Tuscaloosa, there ain't, you know, something else to do. I won't say the word he said, but except for going to class and play football, it was kind of funny to see his personality a little bit, Chip. Um, we haven't really, you know, as, as I said, we didn't really have the opportunity to see him much at all, um, except for on Zoom calls and it, you know, I think that when you start to see people more in person, you start to kind of understand their personality. I thought that was kind of funny, honestly, because it was more of one of the more human moments, I think, <laughs> realistic things that he had said since he's been hired. But even just aside from that, you know, him talking about the quarterback battle, saying that it's uh, he thinks it's going to be a gut feeling when he's going to name a starter. He's not really in any rush. And I think that may, you know, way differently with different texas fans but i think that you know overall i thought it was a really successful event especially for you know a guy the first time that he um has any in-person contact with a group of people happened to be that huge group i mean there were hundreds of people at the houston touchdown club so um you know definitely uh, hopefully a sign that things are going back to normal but what was your key takeaways from what he had to say
0: yeah, well, it's interesting. Of course, Texas is going to be playing Alabama home and home in 22 and 23. So I would imagine we'll see some signs uh, in the crowd from the Alabama fans about that one. Um, but I, you know, anytime that Sarkeesian's asked about player leadership, I've, I find it interesting to see what names pop off. And he was asked who are the leaders on the team. And he opened with Derek Kerstetter and Roshan Johnson on the offense and then said Bijan Robinson, Cade Brewer uh, on offense and then went to the defense said Keandre Coburn and then Ray Thornton, the LSU grad transfer who we've talked about quite a bit here on the flagship podcast and go check out the flagship podcast podcast interview this week with Roy Miller from Colleen because Ray Thornton is from Colleen and I asked Roy Miller about what it is about these guys from Colleen, guys like Tommy Harris and um, and of course Roy Miller, who was on that 05 Texas national championship team. Um, and just great stuff with Roy gives advice on the def- you know how to succeed as a young defensive lineman like Alfred Collins, and we'll get to him in a second because I asked Steve Sarkeesian about Alfred Collins. Um, But he mentioned Ray Thornton, Sarkeesian did. He mentioned Josh Thompson, Jaron Thompson. Then Taylor, he went back and said he would include Casey Thompson and Hudson Card in that leadership group. I just find it interesting at this point that he's not readily saying the quarterbacks first. It's not necessarily a bad thing uh because he's still trying to make a decision about that and it's probably awkward to as a coach to list two quarterbacks but he did and and that's it's not a bad thing i mean you want your quarterbacks to be leaders and and as you said he's going to be he's going to you know handle it on a gut feel basis he was asked about balancing the play calling duties with the head coaching duties and said for me that's the norm that's how i've always done it how i done it at washington and usc and and he said you have to have a great staff to be able to do it but he feels like he has that and he said one of his coaching mentors is john gruden who's always called plays as the head coach himself so some some interesting chatter and then i did ask him about alfred collins said you know what's the next step when we saw alfred collins in the in the uh, Alamo bowl. He was fantastic. He, you know, shut down two third down plays, killed two drives and had the athletic backbending interception. And Sarkeesian said the biggest thing for Alfred is just maturity. You come in as a true freshman have some highlight plays, but there's a level of consistency. Um, He said that I think mature players play with it's in there for Alfred. We've seen it. It's getting better. That's going to be the driving force between myself, coach Pete Kwiatkowski and coach Bo Davis to get him to that point. It's a natural progression for young players who are very, very talented early in their career. So I think there's a lot of excitement around Alfred Collins based on what we saw in the Alamo bowl, but it's clear if you are a regular listener, of the flagship podcast, when we've Talked to Sam Acho, who worked for Longhorn Network during the spring game, and and talked about how you have to be a complete player. When I asked him asked him about Alfred Collins and and how you have to you know to be able to defend the run and and rush the passer, and and now you're hearing from Steve Sarkeesian that consistency, the maturity level, so. Interesting comments and stuff. I'm sure that Steve Sarkeesian mentioned to Alfred Collins in his one-on-one. He had that one-on-one interview with all the players telling them where they stand and what they need to work on during the summer so that they're ahead of the game when fall camp starts.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's going to be a lot of that. I think Chip, honestly, I think just because of a new coaching staff coming in, uh, not just with young players, I think just kind of getting used to having those relationships. And that's not something that happens overnight, first of all. Um, but with Alfred Collins, I mean, yeah, we've seen what he can do. You've seen the flashes of it. And I think, you know, I think that maybe some Texas fans have a little bit too high of expectations, expecting him to maybe be the day one starter entering his true sophomore season. I don't know if that's, Fair to him, because there are other, you know, defensive linemen on the team that are very capable. I mean, Tavandre Sweat, for instance. I mean, he didn't even go through, you know, spring ball. There's a lot of guys out there who really, um, they still and Moro, haven't really had.
0: Moro yeah. Jomo had a kind of breakout spring. You can yeah. tell the light, the light is going on for him, mm-hmm. and and so yeah, he's going to have to, he's going to have to grind.
1: Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. But I don't think it necessarily hurts if he isn't the day one guy either, because that just shows that the guys around him are continuing to develop and continuing to get more in the flow of the game. And as you mentioned, you know, Moro Joma was a great example of that. He kind of had a breakout spring game. And it's kind of funny because nobody was really talking about Moro Joma all spring. And then all of a sudden, you know, he has that game and you're like, Whoa, like, okay, this is finally coming on. Obviously he was a little bit of a different situation. He came to Texas I mean, he was 17 his whole I think through freshman season. It wasn't until his redshirt freshman season that he turned 18. So he was a little different because he was so much younger. And I think that does play a role in it. Going back to the one thing Chip I'll say about the leadership, you know, part of that. What what Steve Sarkeesian said, I I understand why it may be something where people are like, why why aren't the quarterbacks being named first and second, you know, one A, one B or anything? He did talk about them being a part of the leadership committee that he has. The the thing with that, though, is that has been kind of a consistent message that he's had all along. He's he's really hit home about needing those guys to really step up from not just a maturity standpoint, but a leadership standpoint, too. And so I think it's probably a little bit of a positive sign that they were mentioned. I don't know how I don't think I would take it as like that much of a knock or a concern that they were not the first ones just because, you know, they're they're making their way into a new role neither one of them had had even the opportunity to command the huddle. You know what I mean? I mean, Sam, it's been Sam Ellinger's job. Um, Ever since Casey Thompson got on top on campus, Hudson Carr's only been around for one year. You know, there are a few, Sam Ellinger was a little bit different. You know, he came in and he was an alpha dog type of leader. That was just his the way he is. That's the way he carries himself and not everybody can be like that. So I do think it is a little bit of a positive sign that they were mentioned, (laughs) you know, they may not have been the first ones off, you know, out of his mouth, but I think it is a positive sign for the position that he is relying on them to be in that leadership committee type of role, even though he hasn't even named a starter between either one of them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is, it's a, it's a work in progress. And, and Sarkeesian has said that early on, he said, we need them to be more, Mm -hmm. uh, vocal, more, 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 and so we'll see how that develops over the summer. Cause that is going to be a key component. I mean, Steve Sarkeesian went into, um, uh, what he, you know, looks for in a, in a quarterback. And when he was talking about the gut feel and he, you know, he talked about, yeah, you got to be able to move the chains and make all the throws, but you you got to be able to uh, communicate with your teammates and carry yourself with confidence. And are you the guy that the players respond to? We always say the players always know if you went up and asked the, the, the entire football team individually, who do you think is going to be the starting quarterback? They will have an opinion and it might change. But right now they have an opinion. And and that's something that Steve Sarkeesian has to be very aware of because if he picks a quarterback that the locker room doesn't vibe with, that usually doesn't go well. Mm-hmm. And and then ultimately um it it tends to go in the direction of the the quarterback who is vibing with the locker room, who the players do believe in, who the players will play hard for or harder for, because there, there's just times where that has happened. I mean, I think back to, to Shea Morantz and James Brown. John Makovic thought Shea Morantz was the guy because he could make all the throws and maybe was a better practice player. And then James Brown gets his opportunity in that 1994 Red River shootout and he leads the team to victory and he's commanding the huddle as a redshirt freshman. And it was just um, amazing. So anyway, it, it, that's going to be fun to watch. And it's obviously one of the biggest stories in um, you know, of the summer of the big 12 and in college football, because depending on how well Texas emerges at the quarterback position will determine if they are going to be a threat uh, in the Big 12. And and they should be. Texas should be a threat in the Big 12. They should be every year, but they're learning to be that again. They're learning what it takes on a consistent basis to be a threat to win the Big 12 like they were in the first decade of the 2000s and haven't really been since. So this is all um, an exciting evolutionary process for, for Texas football.
1: Yeah, it definitely is. And there's a lot of storylines to watch. There's no doubt about it. I think as you mentioned, you know, quarterbacks got to be one of the top ones. Um, Even just for the fact that that honestly, I feel like Texas fans kind of got used to having some sort of quarterback controversy since Colt McCoy left and, you know, and then Sam Ellinger kind of erased that, but now it's a little bit back to that. And so I think that's going to definitely be, something to watch what, you know, um, I mean, I just don't know. I'm curious for, for your take here. So do you feel right now, you had mentioned this a little bit, do you feel right now that the players have an idea of who they think should be the starter?
0: I think they do. I think we heard it a little bit from Denzel Okafor during spring ball when he was like, it's Casey Thompson. And, and then Hudson card is in there intermittently, which really he's in there more than that. I mean, it was, it there was more of a split of first team reps, but I think in Denzel Okafor's mind, it's Casey Thompson. Now certain players might have a friendship with a certain guy or whatever. And, and so that can cloud it a little bit, but I do think that if you take the entirety of the ability to, you know, command the offense, get out of trouble and I think that Casey Thompson has shown you, he can step up in the pocket. He has good second reaction skills. Uh, if he does get pushed off of his spot in the pocket and then touch, I think he's shown he has a little bit more touch on the down the field throws. I think Hudson cards, arm talent is a 10 and Casey Thompson's is probably an eight. So you know, but again, Steve Sarkeesian said it in the, at the touchdown club of Houston last week, it's more than that. It's more than being able to make all the throws and, and knowing all the, the plays and the checks and the protections. It's, it's how do you command the huddle? How do your teammates respond to you? That kind of stuff. Um, So it's exciting. And it, and we've talked about the Jevin Snead Colt McCoy situation where Snead appeared to be leading coming out of the spring and Colt, Absolutely flipped the script on him and won the job and Jevons need transferred out of here. So it's um, it's all yet to be played out and you can't measure a kid's heart. You can't measure how hard he's willing to work. So we'll, we'll keep you up to date on that over at horns 24 seven, as we always do. And Taylor, before we leave football and touch on baseball, the uh we now know that the opener against Louisiana is going to be at three thirty on September fourth. This is a terrible idea by Fox. What are you doing?
1: The you know, poor, we, the fans, the poor fans that are going to be in yes. this chance. Oh my gosh,
0: three thirty. Uh <laughs> that's the worst possible time at for the opener because of how hot it is. I yeah. mean, if you're going to and I don't know how many people have seen, we talked about this last week, the pictures from graduation, how cool the South end looks at night. And I guess you'll see dusk in this game, but man, you got to have these September games at home kicking off at seven o'clock just to spare the fans. Cause you didn't put a roof on this DKR and this renovation. So, ay ay, ay. And then the, the Rice game, they did get that right. September 18th is going to be at 7 o'clock on LHN. And then we found out that the regular season finale at home against Kansas State on Friday, November 26th, will kick off at 11. So in addition to the Arkansas game on September 11th at Arkansas, kicking off at 6 o'clock, those are the games that we know right now. The rest are still... TBA but
1: right well and you can almost probably pencil in Oklahoma being an I mean it's going to be 11 or 230 Um, I feel like it's been 11 a lot more frequently than 230 but they're having a few years so it'd be that so you can kind of pencil in that time slot um, but yeah I mean this is that when I saw that the season opener was going to be a 330 game I was just like oh my gosh like especially with it being the first time that fans were expected at this point to have hundred percent capacity, the return, you know, we think of Bebo Boulevard and Smokey's midway and all of that. It's like, Oh, these fans haven't been in that atmosphere for two years. Almost, (laughs) Almost, you know, I mean, a full, at least a full calendar year. Um, Definitely going to need to hydrate there. No doubt about it. So if you're planning to go to that game, Water is your friend because that's going to be a little bit of a brutal one. But, yeah, I was a little disappointed it's not going to be that that night game, especially after seeing those graduation pictures, because that was pretty awesome looking inside the field.
0: Yeah. All right. So we will, uh, again, summer workouts start this week uh, for the football team. So we'll keep you posted on that. And uh, the Texas basketball team also put out a little video on their social media today of all the guys getting back on campus, getting getting to work, all their transfers, Timmy Allen and Dylan Dizu and their freshmen. Um, so it's it's that time. We'll we'll keep you up to date on everything over at Horns 24/7.
1: Well, the other thing too, the big thing, the recruiting dead period is finally oh, yeah. over. So this month of June if you're a big-time Texas recruiting fan, Being at Horns 24-7 will be crucial um, with, you know, our guys, Mike Roach and Nick Harris covering all the ins and outs of Texas recruiting. This will be the first time that they will have allowed to have on-campus visitors. I believe it's been 15 months. So that's, um, you know, they're going to have some camps that they're also going to be hosting official visitors. Um, So you definitely want to make sure that you are tuned in on the recruiting front too. And if you are not a member of Horns 24-7, we actually have a uh, you know recruiting dead period celebration special sixty percent off your first year of a uh, Texas scoop by subscribing to Horns twenty four seven highly recommend it you will get the whole month of June all of the summer recruiting the entire football season the entire basketball season plus the you know in um in school type of cam- or on campus recruiting. During the, the football season itself, um, also being able to host visitors and stuff like that. So definitely make sure you take advantage of that if you are not a member, because there's not, there's going to be no shortage of news over at Horns 24 seven for the foreseeable future.
0: No doubt. No doubt. And Mike Roach and Nick Harris are everywhere. They're all over it. So don't miss a thing when it comes to recruiting. Now that the dead period is over. All right, Taylor. Texas baseball. You want the good news first or the bad news?
1: Let's go. Let's go. Good news first.
0: Okay. Good news first is Texas baseball is the number two overall seed for the NCAA postseason, which means uh, they're not only hosting a regional. If they can get out of the regional round, they will host a super regional. So it's set up for Texas baseball to go to Omaha now. The bad news. Um, I think this is a tricky little regional that they drew where they play Southern and Southern is a team that won its uh, tournament is only 20 and 28 Texas should get by Southern. But on the other side of the bracket, they have Arizona State uh, as the number two seed, Texas the one seed in this regional but the three seed is Fairfield and Fairfield is one of the most interesting stories in the college baseball season, because they are 37 and three. Now they're from the, you know, Metro Atlantic athletic conference. You've never even heard of it. And they played, um, all but four games were seven inning doubleheaders this season because of the COVID pandemic, um, the Metro, um, Atlantic athletic conference was packing games into double headers to limit contact on the road, whatever from COVID. So they only played like three or four, nine inning games, Taylor, but they have the lowest ERA in college baseball. They have four pitchers, two lefties who are, have been dynamite all year and they hit over 300 as a team but it's the level of competition that you're unsure about as to why they are the number three seed in this Texas regional, but that's a tricky team because they obviously have a ton of chemistry. They love playing together and they've, they have pulled out some, some clutch wins. So that's an interesting, you know, maybe Texas just hammers everybody in this regional, but Arizona State's been to the to the postseason 41 times. They know what's going on in their baseball program, but they're made up of 66.7% freshmen. I mean, their entire infield is freshmen, and they're playing great. So Arizona State, they're kind of a, an enigma, super young team, Fairfield, super old team with some crafty veterans, and then Southern, the lucky team that got hot in their conference tournament. So... And Texas, I mean, Texas fans, Texas had some troubles at the plate in the Big 12 tournament. They struck out 47 times in four games. And Ivan Melendez, who's been so good for them, the transfer from Odessa College, who they moved up into the four spot to provide some protection for Zach Zubia, went cold at the Big 12 tournament. He, in fact, he struck out nine times in the first three games. And David Pierce took him out of the lineup for the fourth game against Oklahoma state. This is a guy who had seven home runs in six straight games earlier this year, Taylor, and has been at the top of their batting, you know, average, not, not at the top. That's Mitchell Daly, who also struggled in the big 12 tournament. But I wonder how much of it is the familiarity that Texas and their opponents having faced them all at least three games prior for Texas. um, I mean, they ended up facing West Virginia five times because they lost to them in game one of the big 12 tournament, then had to beat them in, in the consolation or whatever the losers bracket, not consolation losers bracket. There's so much familiarity. You tend to get the edge back when you play teams in the NCAA postseason who haven't seen you who have to prepare on the fly. I mean, they can watch film. They, coaches can tell them what pitches to expect from their, their top pitchers. But there is so much familiarity uh, with these Big 12 teams. Nonetheless, Taylor, Texas struck out 47 times in four games. It, in fact, 31 of those strikeouts came in their two victories. How about that? Their Crazy. victories over OU and West Virginia, they struck out 17 times against um, against OU and then fourteen times in the win over West Virginia, so like you said, your dad was scored the game winning run in game four of the sixty nine World Series for the Miracle Mets. Your brother was a top pick of the Detroit Tigers in 1994. You know how crazy baseball can be. You just got to keep gutting it out, right?
1: Yeah. I think so. And, you know, Chip, there is a part of me that wonders how much of the the, you know, Big 12 tournament was really taking seriously, not not saying that they wouldn't take the game seriously. However, we do know that David Pierce doesn't like the Big 12 tournament and he's openly talked about not liking the Big 12 tournament. So a part of me kind of wonders if this was more of a, you know, they maybe went into it maybe not, you know, really caring what the outcome was going to be. They just want to share the big 12 regular season title. That's much more important than winning the conference tournament. Clearly it did not change the overall, you know, scope of what Texas baseball has this season with them being selected as a number two overall national seed, you know, entering postseason. I don't know how much weight and I, I could eat my words, who knows? We will find out soon. I'm just not really sure how much weight I would put into the, the performance of the big 12 tournament, obviously, you know, 47 strikeouts. That's, that's an alarming amount of strikeouts. If you see it, regardless of who you're playing against, but I think Texas has proven time. And again, that anytime these questions seem to arise, they shut it down pretty quickly. I mean, going back to the opening weekend of the, the 2021 season, you know, um, when they went over three. So there is not, now I'm not trying to say it's okay to take days off. I I get it. Like it's kind of a weird situation that you are in there. I think, however, that big 12 tournament really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things for Texas, especially entering the postseason. You know, I think um, it'll be, this will be an interesting regional to say the least. Uh, I got to be honest, Chip, I did not know what Fairfield was. I saw that. I was like, what? They got right. to school, you know, so um, that could be good or it could be bad, you know, the time will tell there. But I think at this point, Texas deserves the benefit of the doubt because they have consistently shown that they are a top contender. You know, you don't get a number two seed in the conference tournament if you are not a legit contender for potential, you know, College World Series appearance. So I think, you know, if, if Texas fans, I understand that they may be upset by the performance. I just don't know if I would put too much weight in it personally. Um, but again, I could, I could eat my words. We'll see.
0: Well, you're right. I mean, the number two overall seed in the NCAA postseason, you'll take that and jump for joy. I just you will
1: take that over a big 12 tournament one, you know, right.
0: absolutely. I just, I, I was concerned at Ivan Melendez because he's been so good and for him to strike out three times in each of the first three games of the big 12 tournament and go one for 10 with nine strikeouts. And then basically got pulled from the lineup against Oklahoma state in that fourth game to just take a break and, you know, not, not work himself into a, you know, spiral himself into the ground from a lack of confidence standpoint. So as you said, you're, they're coming home. They're going to have the dish crowd behind them, and that'll make a big difference because obviously they also had freshman closer Aaron Nixon walk uh, the final, you know, in the, in the ninth inning, walk two batters in a row, including the game-winning run for Oklahoma State. That was tough, and it was a home game for Oklahoma State. That's a, that's a raucous crowd with everything on the line. Good to have that experience now. Because if Texas does what it's supposed to do, it's going to get to play home games all the way to Omaha. So we'll, we'll watch and, and uh, keep you posted on all that right here on the flagship podcast. Taylor, you ready? Um, and again, kudos to Dave O'Neill and the rowing team for their national championship. They had to, they had to win their final race, uh, what they call the, the Grand Eight, because you have eight in a boat kind of your top eight then you have your second eight and then you have your four person boat they'd finished third in the four person boat third in the in the second eight but then in the um the top eight they beat stanford and washington and finished tied but because they won the top eight race they're the national champs so Kudos to Dave O'Neill, who's taken them from seventh at NCAAs to fourth to second and now first. So in seven years, he's doing a great job. And all those boats, they do all their training right there on Town Lake, Lady Bird Lake. Taylor, you, you go down there in the morning, you'll see them. And now oh, yeah. they're the national champs.
1: Woohoo! That's awesome. For all right.
0: Sure. You ready for some love it or leave it?
1: I am Chip. Uh, but before we do get to Love It or Leave It, we're going to take a really quick break, but we will return. We're going to have a lot more football talk and some more baseball talk in Love It or Leave It. So stay tuned. We will be right back.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds.
1: Let's uh, bring in some love it or leave it. You ready, Chip? Let's go. All righty. My first one for you is sorry. I'm trying to see it here. Love it or leave it. Texas fans shouldn't expect expect much from inside linebacker Deli A day away, rejoining Texas football after withdrawing his name from the transfer portal.
0: Um, you know it'd be easy to love this, uh, and I will love it. I wouldn't expect much from Delia a day away. And that way, if he does produce um, good results, it's a pleasant surprise because at, at this point, I think it's, we're still waiting for that light bulb to go all the way on for Delia a day away. And maybe, maybe everything he's gone through with the decision to enter the transfer portal, miss spring football, but then decide to rejoin the team. Maybe he's on a different mission and it all comes together, but I will love this and say, don't have crazy expectations for Delia a day away um, at, at the middle linebacker position at, at this point, at this point, well, let's, I think it's a wait and see process. Taylor, what do you think?
1: I agree with you. I think not because I don't think that he is capable of exceeding expectations. It's more just the, the unknown, you know, I mean, he, there's been one season that he stayed healthy, you know, that's been an issue, but one thing, Chip, that's kind of, and maybe I may be going out on a limb here. It kind of reminds me a little bit of DeMarvian Overshawn, you know, DeMarvian Overshawn was on campus. He was a part of that 2018 signing class at Texas sign that Delia Dayaway was a part of, and he dealt with a lot of injuries. He dealt with injuries all of his high school career and then into college and the light bulb did come on for him last season in, in, a, in a spectacular way, honestly, in a way that I probably did not expect it to, um, especially with him breaking in a new position, linebacker rather, you know, moving from the secondary to that. So there is a part of me that wonders if this is maybe the same or a similar type of trajectory that Delia Dayaway is on. Now, there's a lot of unknown. There's the unknown of the playbook, you know, let alone there's the unknown of the coaching staff. There's the unknown of if he can stay healthy. I mean, there is a lot of unknown. And because of that, I don't necessarily suggest that Texas fans have super high expectations. I think you can expect him to compete for the starting role. I think you can, if he stays healthy, I think you could expect him as long as he continues to progress. I think you can expect him to have a good season. At this point, I just wouldn't say that just because he's been away from the team. He's been away from the, you know, everything um, since January. So it'll be something where he, he, he very, in my opinion, is very capable of exceeding expectations um, because I think that your expectations should be pretty low for him right now. Um, But I don't think, and you know, that's not a knock on him. I really think that, you know, he was a really talented kid coming in to Texas. he, has missed a lot of time, you know, because of being injured a lot of times. So I think if he can stay healthy and he can stay focused and stay doing why he was, you know, leaning on the talents that he has or why he was recruited to come to the university of Texas, why he was rated one of the, you know, top 150 players in his signing class. I mean, there's a reason why those things happen. So if, if the light bulb turns on, I think he's for sure going to exceed expectations um, but I definitely think you keep keep them at bay a little bit right now <laughs> so. yeah,
0: keep them keep them, you know, keep it settled. keep it uh, yeah, keep it low. all right. How about love it or leave it number two?
1: Number two is former Texas quarterback commit Quinn Ewers, a twenty twenty two five star QB prospect, told twenty four seven sports that he's inclined to head out of state to play college football because no school from Texas has been in the mix for the national title in recent years. The truth hurts. Love it or leave it.
0: Yeah. I mean, unfortunately I have to love this because this is what has slowed down Texas recruiting for, you know, since Mac Brown left, you have to be relevant. You have to be in the, in the mix for a college football playoff or show some kind of trajectory toward that. And then put guys in the NFL. You've got to produce on the field. The best of the best want to play for championships and have a chance to go to the NFL. So if you as a program are not a playing for championships and B putting guys in the NFL at, at that player's position, then it gets tricky. You, you have to fight that in recruiting. You're going to get negative recruited about that. Urban Meyer used to wear out Texas about that stuff. Whenever he was recruiting a kid from the state of Texas. Um, and so, you know, whether it was JK Dobbins or Baron Browning and, and Texas is going to have to fight through that until they show that they can beat Oklahoma and get that big 12 championship trophy back on the shelf. Taylor, what do you say?
1: Yeah. I mean, I have to agree. And I mean, it goes back to just look what happened last recruiting cycle with the Brockermeyer twins. I mean, these were legacy recruits whose father played there. His brother is a current member of the Texas roster. They grew up Texas fans. They, they bled burnt orange. However, when was, you know, prior to the last, there's been two NFL draft picks of offense alignment. Then compare it to what Alabama has done, putting offense alignment in the league. I mean, that's at the end of the day, I don't care if you are a diehard fan. Uh, the majority of these college football players' end goal is to move on to the, the professional ranks. And if you're one of the top prospects, in the nation, I think you have to, I know Texas fans aren't going to want to hear this, but I think that you have to do what's going to be best for your career. And, you know, Chip, it's, it probably as a quarterback, it's, you know, Texas had Sam Ellinger drafted, but before then, what McCoy. (laughs) you know, I mean 10 years went by before Texas had a quarterback drafted in the NFL draft. And the, you know, the most recent was a six round pick. So I think, you know, it's, it's I, I know Texas fans are not going to like hearing them. I, I get it. Like you, you expect, if you are a diehard fan, you you stay in the state and you, you try to bring that program back. However, I don't know how many players have done that where it didn't work out for them in Texas. So until they can consistently not just be competitive year in and year out, but consistently be putting the, the top recruits that they sign and develop them into N, NFL players I think that you're going to see this trend continue. There's going to be, you know, a few in the you know, that pop up that may come to Texas and, you know, go to the NFL, but it hasn't been a consistent enough thing right now. And so, um, yeah, the truth hurts, but it, I think it's it's a fair truth at this point for him to say that.
0: All right. Love it or leave it numero Trace.
1: All right. My final one for you is... Texas baseball fans should be alarmed that the Longhorns struck out 47 times in four games during the Mm. Big 12 tournament. Love it or leave it.
0: Um, You know what? I'm going to say that I, I love this. Yes, you should be alarmed that they struck out 47 times in four games in the Big 12 tournament. I don't think you should be panicked That this means the Texas baseball offense is coming off the rails because they did, as we mentioned, win two games in which they struck out a combined 31 times, 17 times against OU. They struck out, but won the game and 14 times they struck out against West Virginia and won the game. So it's it's alarming, but I don't think it's panic time. Plus, Texas is coming home. They are going to be facing opponents who haven't seen them play, haven't faced them three, at least three times during the season. So that intimate familiarity goes out the window, which I think goes to Texas's advantage as the home team. So I'm going to love the alarm bit, Taylor, especially Ivan Melendez, because he's been. A monster this year, and for him to go one of ten with nine strikeouts and get pulled from game four, uh. but David Pierce, you're the number two overall seed in the NCAA postseason for a reason. Uh, I think the guys coming home, they rally around each other because they have they have been resilient and they have been gutsy and they have a, shown a love of playing together that I think is absolutely essential for teams who go deep in the postseason. So I'm going to love that Taylor, but I'm not panicked. I'm not, I'm not freaking out.
1: Okay. I'm, How about on you? The fence. I'm on the fence a little bit. Cause I, I feel like I'm inclined to say, leave it. Um, you know, for what we were talking about earlier on, this is, you know, one thing, you know, Texas facing their own big 12 conference opponents so many times, you know, and with just the way that David Pierce, he doesn't like the big 12 tournament, Texas has shown resiliency when they've lost games and then, you know, went on to be a number two overall national seed in the NCAA tournament. So I think I'm going to have to leave it and say, you shouldn't be alarmed yet. Um, now, if Texas goes out and, you know, stumbles all over itself, then yeah, you should be alarmed. But I think at this point, I'm, I'm going to say no, because Texas has continued to show that it was able to overcome adversity, especially when they did lose games. Um, they snapped out of it a lot. And so, you know, starting with that, the opening series of the, the 2021 season. So while I think it, I understand why some fans may be alarmed. I don't necessarily think I would be one that would say this is an alarming stat right now. Um, if they you know, struggle or are playing really close games against uh, lesser opponents in the regional, then yes, you can be alarmed, but I don't think that's the case right now.
0: Yeah. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff, folks. We covered a lot of ground here in this first week of June. Don't forget to get over to Horns 24-7 if you're not a member of this incredible 60% off promotion with the dead period finally ending after 15 months. We are celebrating that fact. And the fact that we've got the best recruiting guys going in Mike Roach and uh, Nick Harris. In fact, I think Mike Roach is breaking news right now about um, the fact that uh, a Caleb Evans is on an official visit right now. That's the kind of stuff we're talking about. Um, And for all those details, get over to Horns 24-7 immediately. Uh, For Taylor Estes, I am Chip Brown. Until next time here on the flagship podcast, everybody, thanks for listening and stay safe and keep the faith.